Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Turn your Bible to Mark 1, 16 through 18. When you're single and you don't have children, there's advantages and there's disadvantages. I miss out on some of the advantages, but I've been blessed to go to Israel 23 times and get to speak in Palestine, spoken in schools in Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. But there's a certain place there that I want you to get in your mind's eye right now, and it's called the Sea of Galilee. And I pastor, I think, it's been a couple times to uh, Israel. Maybe some of you have been. Maybe you haven't been to Israel, but you got a beautiful inspiration point out here. I was looking out there today and, and witnessing to some folks there. I want you to picture a body of water. And we can picture the beach or the Sea of Galilee. And um, I took a run up at Fullerton the other day where I'm staying with my buddy up there and his family. And I ran up by Fullerton Lake and I saw some fishermen there. And they were using rods and reels. About a month ago, I was preaching in Virginia Beach on the East Coast, and I saw some other fishermen there that were using nets, just like back in the Bible times. And I've seen there on the Sea of Galilee now in modern times, people using reels and people using nets. So I want you to get in your mind's eye, fishermen, maybe fisher ladies. But the Bible is talking about fishermen here in Mark 1, 16 through 18. And I want us to picture Jesus walking on the shore. Maybe the wind was blowing. Maybe mist was blowing in his hair. And let's see what he did here in Mark 1, 16 through 18. It says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Verse 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. That word straight mean, means immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. So what does that look like? You're saying, Randy, you want, you to, want us to quit our job and just start going to the streets and witnessing? Well, he may call some of you to do that, but not most of us. He's put you in a place where you can reach people that pastor could never reach. You'll reach people that a Billy Graham could never reach or whoever your favorite preacher or evangelist is. And, but unfortunately, I was telling the kids this morning, I was blessed being in Asheville, North Carolina. Dr. Billy Graham uh, ministry was based not too far from there. And I met him a few times around Asheville over the years and run into him at a restaurant with one of his colleagues and never really got to talk to him, but I always wanted to go sit down with him as a young evangelist. And finally, before he passed, about 96 years old, I got to go up to Montreat to his modest log cabin and he was in a wheelchair. He had oxygen on. His voice wasn't the powerful voice that you can YouTube or if you've seen a crusade, his voice was very raspy and he was sitting in the wheelchair, but he gave me a statistic in those 30 minutes. By the way, he was eating chocolate chip cookies and milk and his nurses were watching after him. And he gave me this statistic though. And those of you that are athletes, you know that you get a stat sheet at the end of the game. Coach played college ball. He coached ball. 
I know uh, Pastor Ryan played ball. Some of you, some of you other ones might have played ball. And you get a stat sheet after the game. And if you went 7 of 10, that's a good game. If you went 2 for 10, that's not so good of a game. So coach may get on you a little bit. If you threw the ball away five times, you got to correct that. If you got two rebounds and you should have got 10, he's going to let you know that. Well, Billy Graham gave a statistic that I could never get away from. There's more than 100 people here probably, but let's just say there's 100 people here. And let's say that uh, the statistic is this. And I want you to ask yourself and see which part of this statistic that you fall into. Dr. Graham, having gone to 167 countries in his ministry, he said that he believed that 95 out of 100 Christians, truly born-again Christians, I say that because you ask somebody in the world out here today if they're a Christian, they'll probably say yes because they were born in America, because they were Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Church of God, Episcopalian, Lutheran. you got to take it deeper than that. The Bible says we must be born again. And Dr. Graham believed that 95 out of 100 true born-again Christians will never lead one soul to Christ. And I was in that category for way too long. So I, want, I might ask you a few times through this challenge here, the next few minutes, I might ask you, have you been fishing lately? And it's not to make you feel guilty, because I'm already feeling guilty, because I miss opportunities every day. But it's to make us think about, if you want to think about athletic terms, when Jesus ascended into heaven, say he's the head coach. The last play that he gave us in Matthew 28 was, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to preserve all that I've commanded thee, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. How are we doing on the play? Don't raise your hand. Have you been fishing lately? So what are we looking at here? Jesus said, Kay, come follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. What did those fishermen do? They dropped their nets, and they followed him. Well, let's take it to this illustration. Probably on a Wednesday night, 90% of us in here, maybe all would say, yes, Randy, I've been born again. Well, that's when you were called by Jesus to come follow him. And what does he want to make us to do? Become fishers of men. Wow, that scares us. It scares me. I used to think about, man, when I was a, uh, gave my life to Christ at a Christian school, man, if I get sold out to Jesus, uh, he's going to send me to Africa somewhere where I don't want to be. Well, I've been to Africa five times, and I'd go tomorrow if the airlines were working. So it's nothing wrong with that. Not, God's not going to send you anywhere that he doesn't put a desire on your heart to be there. That's why we got missionaries, brothers and sisters in Christ right now that are getting persecuted because they won't deny Christ. So come follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. Who did Jesus go to? He didn't go to the up and out. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Washington, D.C. He wants those people. But who did he go to? He went to the common man. The common man like you and I. I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 1 in your Bible. A little bit to the right, 1 Corinthians 1. And I want you to see who God wants to use. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. The Bible says... For consider your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, 
Verse 28, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God has chosen the foolish things. The Bible goes on to say in other places, he's chose the foolishness of preaching. You say, yes, Randy, it's Brother Ryan and Ryan and, and uh, the other staff member's job to share the gospel. No, we're each one called to be preachers, to be truth tellers. Uh, one of my mentors, I was blessed to sit under Dr. Adrian Rogers in Memphis, Tennessee, 25 years ago. Dr. Rogers is in heaven now. But Dr. Rogers said, some people probably have the gift of evangelism, but every believer is called to be an evangelist. So as we say that right now, I want you to believe in these next few minutes that God wants to use you. God wants you to use you to reach Newport Beach. God wants to use you to reach Southern California. God may send you only he knows where to be a missionary, to be an evangelist. But you say, but Brother Randy, I'm in secular work. God has put you there, again, to reach people that pastor and the staff could never reach. There's five lies I want you to jot down if you're a note taker. Five lies that the enemy is going to tell you right now. They're probably already coming to your mind. Five lies that he tells me of why that we can't share our faith. Why we can't be a seed planter or a soul winner. Who does God want to use? Well, there's a Josiah in here. I talked to a man up front. He said he had a son named Josiah, and Josiah's in here. Josiah was in uh, chapel today. God used an eight-year-old boy named Josiah to be the king of Israel. I joke and say, man, that might be a good choice today, right? Just kidding. He had advisors. He had people that were speaking into his life. But in the Old Testament, the lineage was passed on to the men to be the king in the family. And Josiah became the king at eight years old. And then we get a little older. Some of you are teenagers. God used a shepherd boy. My great, 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 great cousin. Just kidding. I'm, last name is Shepherd. And he was in the fields. And he was watching after the sheep. And he was, God used him to slay a giant, probably somebody close to nine feet tall. Man, Coach Jamie and I at Crossfire, we pray for godly big men. It's hard to find godly big men. Their guards are a dime a dozen. You can find guards that love Jesus, but to find a big man that loves Jesus, well, I'm staying with one up in Whittier. He's six foot 10, 300 pounds. He's put on about 50 or 60 pounds since he played with Crossfire and played with Spirit Express before I was with Crossfire. But John is 55. He's retired from the Orange County Parole Board. His job was a parole officer to sex offenders. So it helps to be six foot 10, 300 pounds, right? That adds, but John's a praying man. He's a man of God. But we prayed for godly big men. Man, if I could find a sinner that was nine foot tall, be awesome. And that shepherd boy, David, slew that giant. My dad, I told, uh, I think I told this story last time I was here, not to you all, but to the staff. My dad was 79 years old, and he was running his own business. I'm thankful that I got a work ethic from him. Colossians 3.23 says, and all you do, do heartily unto the Lord and not unto man. That means if you're a student, do it with all you got, students. If you're the pastor, do it with all you got. If you're a homemaker, do it with all you got. If you're retired, do it with all you got. And if you please God... You're going to please everybody else. 
And my dad was, he had retired once before, but he didn't like retirement. So he went back into business. He was going up and down ladders at 79 years of age. And brother Ryan, I came out of a Tennessee football game one time. Now, Tennessee needs a lot of prayer right now, so I changed to Clemson. But uh, I came out of a Tennessee football game. My dad raised me on Tennessee football. And I'll give you a point about that. Now, we go watch UCLA. I've been to a UCLA game, never been to a Southern Cal game, but I've, John took me to a UCLA game a couple years ago. And a UCLA game or a Southern Cal game or a Clemson game or a Tennessee game, when that little pigskin crosses the goal line, 100,000 people get up and go crazy. They give high fives, low fives. They throw toilet paper at Tennessee. They got a song called Rocky Top. And every time they score a touchdown, they play Rocky Top. They hadn't played Rocky Top much this year, but we're hoping they can get them back to playing Rocky Top. But the place goes crazy. The world calls that a fan. But let us wear a scripture t-shirt. Let us maybe raise our hands in sincerity and worship. Let us go over to the beach and take some gospel tracks or, or confront people one-on-one -on -one with the gospel. You know what the world calls that? A fanatic. I want to ask you tonight, whose fanatic are you? You're a fanatic for somebody. Is it your bank account? Is it a surfboard? Is it a boat? Is it an iPhone? Is it a relationship? Is it golf clubs? Do you know that I can put crossfire before the Lord? Do you know that pastor and the staff can put this church before the Lord? And it's a daily struggle. The Bible says, Paul said, take up your cross daily and follow Christ. I'm not talking about being a fanatic and beating people over the head with the Bible and going out on the beach and screaming, you're going to hell if you don't repent. That's true. But you probably won't reach too many people like that. And we don't compromise the word of God. Now, John the Baptist was pretty radical. He got honey dripping off his lips. He was dressed in camel's hair and he was screaming, repent. They'd have probably put him in a psychiatric ward today. But God used him in a mighty and a powerful way. But you don't change the message, but you go in love. So here's the five lies real quick that the enemy is going to tell you. The first lie the enemy is going to tell you is, Brother Randy, if I knew the Bible like Pastor Ryan or Billy Graham or whoever your favorite preacher is, I would share my faith. But I just don't know the Bible like that. Well, if I was coming back Sunday, I won't be here, but maybe one day if I do good tonight, Pastor Ryan will let me preach on Sunday. Y'all pray about that. Just kidding. I'm kidding, but um, if I was coming back Sunday and I said, Pastor Ryan, if you memorize all of us in here today, if you memorize these four verses, it's called the Roman road. Is that a road out here off the coast highway? Well, it may be, but the Roman road I'm talking about, jot these verses down if you don't know them, and I challenge you to memorize them. Romans 3.23. You don't have to write down the whole verse, just a reference. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And paraphrasing, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Those four verses called the Roman road. It's on the back of a crossfire card. If you would like a card after the service, you probably got a place where you keep some gospel tracts here. If you don't, there's bookstores that have them or you can order them online. So 
If Crossfire said, I'm coming back Sunday to preach or a week from now, Wednesday night, and if you memorize those four verses, we're going to stand up during the service. You're going to have an opportunity to quote those four verses. And brother, if you memorize those four verses, Crossfire is going to give you a $100 bill. Pastor, there would be some scripture memory going on this week. And what would the motivation be? Dinero, money. What should our motivation be? What if we had to put all of our sins on this jumbotron up here and show all the sins that I've committed or all the sins that you've committed? Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. He's taken those sins. If you've repented, put your faith in Christ, and he's put them in the sea of forgetfulness to remember them no more. That's worth sharing with other people. If I was a doctor and I had the cure to cancer and you had cancer, and I didn't give you that cure, what kind of a doctor would I be? Not too good. If we know how to get to heaven, we've got lost people all around us. Jesus called us to go and be fishing for men, women, boys, and girls, and we're not fishing. Don't answer out loud. What kind of a Christian does that make us? You can learn the scripture. You can learn the Roman road. Number two lie the enemy is going to tell you is, Brother Randy, if I begin to be a soul winner, a seed planter, I begin to share my faith, guess what? I'm going to get persecuted. Well, you will. I promise the staff, stop the clock back there, brother, okay? Just kidding. I promise the staff I would tell this story. After I tell this story, you won't go to Israel with crossfire, but I want to share with you the power of God. So I was in uh, Jerusalem one time, and some of you haven't seen this, and and so Pastor Ryan probably would want me to show you because I can't jump. You ever heard of white man's disease? Well, I got it. And I can't jump, but I can still play at 56. So, Brother Ryan, not jumping paid off now, all right? So I was so into basketball when I was young, and all these drills are out there on a videotape. I used to do all the Pistol Pete Maravich ball handling drills in the kitchen floor every night for an hour. There'd be a puddle of sweat underneath me. Who is Pistol Pete Maribus, Randy? Well, he was a player in the 70s, and he was doing things with the basketball that Stephen Curry's doing now, ball handling-wise. So I would do all those drills, and in between those drills, you get tired. And when my dad's work ethic, I didn't finish that story, but I'll come back to it about my dad. My dad's work ethic, I would work in between these drills because I just want to sit down. Get off those iPhones, young people. Go get you some exercise. Turn them off. Get that heart beating, all right? Mom and dad would come home, and I'd be spinning the ball like so, and they didn't think that was too strange. I was putting it on different fingers, and I was moving around and so forth. And the next day they came home, I had a spoon out. We'd go to Africa, Russia, Cuba, the Ukraine, Argentina, Brazil. Forgot my Bible up here. And we would go to these places, and we would tell them this is how boys from North Carolina eat ice cream. Not really, but a few of us. So you get it going real good, keep it going. Pray for me, I don't trip coming down these steps. And you eat your ice cream like so. What does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste the Lord? We repent of our sin, we give our lives to Christ. Next day, mom and dad came home. I had a toothbrush out. As I mentioned to you, blessed to go to Israel, a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem, hung between two thieves. One said, hey, if you're the son of God, pull yourself down there and save us. 
He was full of pride like I've been before. The other one said, Jesus, remember me. And in his way, he admitted he was a sinner. And the Lord said, I'll remember you today. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word of God, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. John 1.1 said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, it said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we got a holy God, we got a sinful world. We've sinned, we've lied, we've cheated, we've had wrong thoughts, and our sin is separating us from God. That's a problem. I don't know what pastor gets paid here. He didn't tell me to say this, but he and the staff ought to get paid more. Why do I say that? I was in Hollywood the other day passing out tracks. Those movie stars, those actors, those athletes make way too much money. The world has gotten turned around. The first responders, the legitimate ministers, the policemen. I'm not praying for defunding. I'm praying for funding the police. Give them a raise, what they go through. But the illustration here, the wages of our sin is death. We're separated from God because of our sins. So Jesus went to the cross. Spikes were nailed in his hands, his feet, his side was pierced. He went to the grave. You know what they told me about this book at UNC Asheville when I got a scholarship to play ball there? They said it was a good book about a good man with some good stories. That was three lies. This is a perfect book about a perfect God with perfect truth. So Jesus bridged the gap between a holy God and a sinful world. He didn't stay in the grave like Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. And just like this silly toothbrush is going to clean my teeth, Jesus Christ wants to clean our hearts up and give us peace and hope and purpose for living. And then what are we supposed to do? Well, Pastor Ryan and a few of us old-timers here, we, you know what this is, but young people, this is a flip phone. Now, I can do it on an iPhone, but they're way too expensive. And what does the Bible tell us to do? It says, come follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Some of us need to write down some names. We need to call some of our friends, some of our relatives, and we need to talk to them about their eternal destiny. That's how into basketball I was. So I was doing that, Pastor, in the streets of Jerusalem. A crowd drew. We had about 40 people with us. We had those 40, and then if you have 40 people doing that, and somebody doing that, you don't see that a lot, people will gather around. So I started sharing the gospel right there on Benny Huda Street, downtown Jerusalem. That's where the, the Hasidic Jews hang out. If you're Jewish here tonight and you're born again, awesome. But these guys weren't born again. They had the hats on, had the curls, they were dressed in all black. Started out with some youth like you all. They were listening. I gave them Hebrew tracks. I gave them crossfire tracks. They were looking at it. Pastor, what I didn't see was one of the acidic guys got on the telephone. And in about five minutes, I was surrounded by about 50 or 60 Hasidic Jews. And they were speaking in Hebrew, brother, and broken English. And I asked the guy beside of me, I said, what are they saying? He said, they're saying they hate you and they hate Jesus too. I said, okay. So I had a little fellow with me. He was about 65 years old. He was on the trip. Frank had got his hand chopped off when he was 13 years old in a sawmill in North Carolina. And these folks weren't happy. I got a whole new revelation in their face of what Paul said by an angry mob. They were calling us Gentile pigs. 
And I dropped down on one knee in front of them, and I said, basketball used to be my God, but now Yeshua, which is Jesus in Hebrew, is my God. They didn't like that either. And one of them said, well, you come to Israel and you bring your people, but you leave your Jesus at home. So a guy steps out of the crowd. They were dialoguing with me. I was treating them nice. I was loving, treating them lovingly. I said to Frank, Frank, you need to go through the crowd, get your wife and the others, put them in a taxi cab, send them back to the hotel. I'll be back. My ministry partner, Jamie, is a little more laid back than me. He was a smart one. He was at the hotel with the other 35 people resting after a long day walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Frank said, Randy, I'm not going anywhere. He said, you're willing to share the gospel. I'm right here praying with you, buddy. Well, Frank didn't know it, sister, but I was through sharing the gospel. I was looking for a way of escape. I said, Frank, we need to get back up the street because it was dark down here and there was an Israeli policeman standing right over there Well, he turned his back on the whole thing. So I guess he was going to let those Hasidic Jews have a little fun with a Gentile, what they were calling a pig. That's what they call us for sharing Christ. You see, the Jews are looking for the Messiah the first time. We know the Messiah's already came. Over 300 times in the Old Testament, it predicted that the Messiah was going to come, and the Messiah came. Do you know what the chances of those statistics are of that happening? Filling the whole state of Texas with quarters. Painting one of those quarters purple, putting a blindfold on somebody, setting them in the middle of Texas, and they find that purple quarter. The chances of one of those prophecies coming to pass, and 300 came to pass. You can use that with your intellectual friends. So, a guy steps out of the crowd, brother. He's about this far from me, and he spits in my face. So I got spit rolling down my face. And my buddies that are pretty strong and muscular back home say, yeah, that's when it would have been on, Randy. Yeah, it would have been on, right? Me and Frank, 65 years old and 50 Hasidic Jews, right? Plus, the Bible says to do good to those that mistreat you. It says to love those that mistreat you. It's not easy. So I turned and started to walk up the street. I said, Frank, we need to get up the street. Well, this was even worse. I had on this shirt. And it said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That made them more mad, Brother Ryan. They were literally trying to kick me in the back. So we walk up in front of this restaurant. Y'all are great listeners. There's a piece of lamb hanging there. And they were making sandwiches. And I did like this to look like the manager of the restaurant, brother. I said, can you call the police, sir? He said, y'all come with me. Well, there were two guys standing there, Brother Ryan, that had on yarmulkes. If you know what a yarmulke is, that's a Jewish person that wears a skull cap. Well, they turned on the crowd, and they said, you leave these guys alone. They're doing a good thing. They're preaching the gospel. Well, that shocked me, because here's two Jewish guys with yarmulkes on that are turning on the Hasidic guys. So the guy took us up the steps. He took us up in what was the attic, it looked like. I got about right here, and I looked back down to see what was going on. I don't witness like this, but one of the guys with the skull caps on was pretty muscular. He had one of the Hasidic guys down, Brother Ryan, on the ground. Don't get in the flesh when you witness, all right? You don't win people to the Lord like that. But I looked back, I went on up in the attic, and I sat down on a box in the attic. And I had this thought, this was about 15 years ago. My daddy is going to see me on world news tonight back in America. So Frank says, then, Randy, I'm going to go get my wife and the others now. I'm going to put them in a taxi. I said, Frank, we're safe. The guy just called the police. We're good. 
Frank said, Randy, they're not after me. They're after you. <laughs> and he was right. Brother Ryan, he went right through the crowd. They didn't mess with him. He got his wife and the others. He put them in a taxi cab and he sent them back to the hotel. As he was coming back to where, we, where I was in the attic, the two guys with yarmulkes, Sammy, stopped him and said, we're Messianic Jews. God had us here to help you. Now, if you know anything about Messianic Jews, those are converted Jews that have, or completed Jews that were Jewish, but they've trusted in Christ now as their Messiah. So when he shared that with me in the attic, I already had a peace, but I had more of a peace. And one thing I left out that I told the guys at lunch is when we started up the street, one of them threw a bottle out of the crowd and hit me right on the side of the head. Well, I got a hard hit. It was like a ball game. The adrenaline was pumping. I didn't really feel it. But later on that night, brother, one of my friends did like this to my hair and said, Randy, you got glass in your hair. So we're sitting in the attic. The Israeli police show up. They had their bats and, their, and, their, uh, and I heard the sirens of the car out front of the restaurant. And they came up there and said, what's going on, young man? I said, sir, I mentioned Jesus and all havoc broke loose. They said, you stay right here. I said, yes, sir, I'm not going anywhere. They pulled the car up. They came back. They said, we're going to take you through here. And we're going to take you back to the hotel. I said, thank you, sir. God bless you. I'm right behind you. I'm not going anywhere. I don't know if you ever watched the movies Left Behind years ago with the mob screaming at the people. That's what it looked like to me, those Hasidic Jews screaming at us, God's chosen people. So we got in the police car. I found out later, Pastor, that uh, the Israeli police don't really like the Hasidic guys either. So he cut the wheel at the Hasidic guys, and they all jumped out of the way like this, and he laughed under his breath, and we're going across Jerusalem with the sirens on. And he looks at me in the back seat, sister, and he says, young man, have a good stay in Israel. I said, yes, sir. Thank you for saving my life. We're going to Galilee tomorrow. So I started feeling a little bad, y'all. Like I would have never, I was the leader of the trip. I would have never put those people in danger. So when I got to the lobby of the hotel, I said, y'all, I'm really sorry. I would have not never put you in danger. You know what they said? I said, Randy, what are you sorry for? They said, you're doing what we're all called to do. They said, we don't even witness in America. We're going to repent. And we're going to go back and we're going to start sharing our faith in America. Now, I used to say, Pastor Ryan, that we probably won't see that kind of persecution in America. That was 15 years ago. We may see it. You say, well, Brother Randy, I don't know. You're trying to get us killed? You're trying to be a martyr? What happened to Stephen? Stephen didn't make it. Guess what? There was a guy standing there holding the clothes of those that were throwing the rocks at Stephen. His name was Saul. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. Now, don't you think Saul watching Stephen take those stones, what an impact it had on him? And then a little bit later in Scripture, we see Saul on the road to Damascus, and the light was shining upon him. And uh, the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? And Saul was converted to Christ. And thank God Stephen took the stones because Saul became Paul one of the greatest evangelists ever, and he wrote almost half the New Testament. You say, Randy, you're trying to get us to be a martyr. No, I'm not. But if we could pull the veil back, friends, and we could see the rewards for Stephen, for taking those stones. You say, Randy, you think you could take the stones? I don't know. I pray I could. I pray I wouldn't run. It could come to that, friends, in America. Yes, you will be persecuted, but guess what? Here's the good news. Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you know what? It's a win-win. As a coach, as an athlete, 
If you, if you share Christ, you get a reward. If you get persecuted, you get a reward. That's the best offense in the land. You can't, you, you can't lose. Listen fastly. I'm moving along. The third lie the enemy is going to tell you is, Brother Randy, if I begin to share my faith, if I become a soul winner or a seed planter, the enemy is going to attack me with his spiritual warfare, his lying demons. He's going to attack me. Guess what? The artilleries of hell are pointed at your pastor and his family. And if the enemy can get them to fall, it's going to affect your church. It's going to affect this community. It's going to affect this city. It's going to affect this nation. It's going to affect the world. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor's wife. You don't understand, and he didn't tell me to tell you this, but you don't understand the spiritual warfare that your leader is under and those that are on the front line sharing the gospel. So yes, you will be persecuted, but Jesus said he would never leave you nor forsake you. He said his grace is sufficient. He won't put more on you than what you can bear. And yes, spiritual warfare will come at you, but God knew that. Guess what he gave us? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, to stand against the fiery darts of the enemy. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Put that armor on. Don't take it off. Speaking to myself. The fourth lie, and I'm moving fast. Appreciate your patience. I only get to come once every year and a half. <laughs> the fourth lie is it's Brother Ryan's job, or it's Brother Ryan's job, or it's Brother uh, Sammy's job, or it's the other minister's job. We pay them well, Randy. What are you talking about? You don't know what they make. They make good money. We pay them well. It's their job to share Christ. No, it's our job. He said for us to go. If everybody in this room led one soul to Christ this year and they followed through in believers' baptism, man, that would be awesome. What percentage are you in? The 5% that's sharing or the 95% that's not sharing? I was guilty of the sin of silence way too long. Friends, one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to get into heaven by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus only. But there's going to be a beam of judgment. And the beam of judgment is going to be for believers. What did we do with our time, our talents, and our abilities? I pray I hadn't blown all my rewards down here. But our rewards are going to be tested. Are you going to get a crown because you brought people with you to heaven? Or you shared the gospel with people? Those crowns aren't going to be like when we see the Bulls. Michael was my man. We see the Lakers. They, they win the world championship. They pull out cigars. They pull out, by the way, I've been witnessing to Michael for 35 years. Pastor mentioned that, uh, so I'm not elevating Michael. He's a man. He needs the Lord. I, I share and witness to him. But the championship, the rewards are not going to be, let's get the cigars out. Let's get the champagne out. Look at us. We're world champions. Beat on our chest. No, the rewards are going to be that we bend our knees. And then we take those crowns and we lay them at Jesus' feet. And we give them back to him. The fifth lie the enemy will tell you, and I'm almost done, is, Brother Randy, you're single, man. You've been able to go all over the world. You probably have the gift of evangelism. I may. I got a family. I got three kids. I got a job. I'm trying to meet a mortgage. I don't have time to go and witness. Friends, you witness as you go. You witness as you go. This time of pandemic, people are scared to death. You think people watching the news right now on Fox or CNN, they're scared to death. Is this the end of the world? What's going to happen? Is it going to be a civil war? People are open for the gospel, y'all. And I know it's a little different during the pandemic. You get too close to them, they're going to be like, get away from me or whatever. But you can, you know, you can still witness through that mask if you got it on. 
And we got to learn how to witness though. I want you to believe tonight. Hopefully you're convinced that God wants to use you. The rest of that story with my daddy was this. When I came out of that Tennessee football game, my mom called me and she said, Randy, your dad is talking to me, but nothing's coming out of his mouth. And now he's laying on the bed. I said, Mom, call the ambulance. And all my way back to Asheville, North Carolina, from Knoxville, Tennessee, two hours, I prayed, God, please don't let my daddy die. Please don't let my daddy die. You say, Randy, I prayed that, and my mom or dad died. My brother or sister died. My child died. Do you believe God heals today? Absolutely. I believe he heals instantaneously. I believe he heals through doctors and medication, and sometimes he doesn't heal. And I can't explain that to you. But our loved ones wouldn't come back from heaven now if we begged them to. They probably would say, witness, it's real. Tell others, it's real. My dad didn't die, but he was paralyzed on the right side. Had to put a feeding tube in. He was bigger than me, so we couldn't keep him at home. My mom, we, we, we didn't stick him in a nursing home. We put him in assisted living, but my mom was there from sun up to sundown serving my dad for two and a half years. I used to say, Daddy, I'm not going on this trip, buddy. I'm going to stay here with you. He said, no, son, you go and I'll pray. Young people, I don't know if you're from a, what kind of home situation you're from. You might have had a dad that's been mean to you. It might be hard to forgive him. Some of us have been blessed with good families. Love on your parents. My mama's 89 now. They used to clean us up when we're little. Now we got to take care of them. My dad started having to wear diapers because he couldn't control his bowels. The CNAs that were coming in to change his dirty diapers, praise God, he led three of them to Christ, sharing the gospel with them. What's my excuse? What's your excuse? Josiah, eight years old. David, the shepherd boy, a teenager, 79-year-old man that was paralyzed with a feeding tube, sharing the gospel. What's my excuse? What's your excuse? Have you been fishing lately? Those five lies, we can combat them with the Word of God. Closing, my challenge to you tonight is I want you to commit to the matter of being a soul winner. Hopefully you see that God wants to use you. I didn't see it for way too long, and I mess up every day. And the message is not to make you feel guilty, but as your big brother, as your coach, as your evangelist, I want to encourage you. I want to motivate you from God's Word. I want to fan the flame. There's no doubt you love Jesus. You wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night probably if you don't love Jesus. You're the cream of the crop, so to speak. But if we had to stand up tonight and say, who's the last person I shared the gospel with? And I want to close with this. What's sharing the gospel, Randy? Inviting people to Liberty Baptist Church? Nope. That's not sharing the gospel. I'm sorry. It's a good thing, but you'll get about 10% of the people you invite to church. They'll come from inviting them. Sharing the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, Randy, what if they say, what about those people in Congo that have never heard about the Lord? What's going to happen to those people? See, there are people who try to get you on rabbit trails. Bring them back to Jesus. Well, Romans 1 says it's written on our hearts. If God can speak through a donkey in the Bible and speak through a donkey now, brother, he can get the word out. I hear stories of Muslims coming to Christ all over the world, seeing dreams about Jesus Christ and coming to know Christ. God can get his word out, but we're his hands and feet. We're his hands and feet, y'all. Come follow me. 
and I'll make you become fishers of men. What's the message? The right message. The death, burial, and resurrection. What's the right method? Put a smile on your face. Don't look like we've been sucking on pickle juice and I've looked like that way too many times. Get you some gospel tracks. It works. There's a Korean pastor right now and I'm done. Evangelists are done three times. This is my third time, all right? There's a Korean pastor that I spoke in his church on Sunday. He graduated from Southern Cal. He started out at Beverly Hills High School. His parents paid $1,700 a month for a little apartment in Beverly Hills so he could get a good education. He wanted to be an architect. He got a scholarship to go to USC free. He got saved at 15 years old. He started sharing Christ at Beverly Hills High School. Took some persecution for it. But he kept sharing. He started going on mission trips. He started going to Venice Beach and different places. He just learned to share the gospel. Just like you learn to shoot free throws, you learn how to shoot the, share the gospel. You pray and you go. He started doing that. At Southern Cal, I told Pastor this story. He made a commitment that he was going to share the gospel every day for five years, what it was going to take him to get his degree. After five years, he had made 1,500 gospel presentations. He became an architect. A a godly Korean businessman back in the East heard about him and heard that he wanted, he was feeling called to be a pastor. The pastor, the godly businessman, sent him to a seminary, which his Korean pastors encouraged him to go to, which I know is a liberal seminary in this area, Fuller. And his thesis was written on this. He got his degree at that seminary, and he went to that seminary because he wanted to be a witness at that seminary. Not all seminaries are right, y'all. I've met a lot of preachers that don't share Christ outside the pulpit. I've met a lot of missionaries overseas that tell you, you've got to come up with a program to share Christ. Where do you find that in the book of Acts? You go in love and you pray and you share the gospel. You'll get rejected, you'll get made fun of, you'll get laughed at. But if you share the gospel enough, people will come to Christ. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. So he wrote his thesis paper on this. They told him that evangelism wasn't relevant today. And he wrote his paper at Fuller Seminary on why evangelism is relevant today. And he got an A on it. This gets crazier. He's Korean. There's no Koreans in Compton. It's half African-American and it's half Latino. God called him to Compton. Y'all know what Compton is better than I do. He got to Compton and started sharing the gospel, Pastor. And they said, what are you doing here? You're Korean. You don't belong here. We go to church, man. We know about Jesus. He kept sharing. Now they love him. I ate dinner with him the other night in Compton at his house. Outside a department store, kind of like a, a poor man's Walmart, if you will, in in. Korea, I'm not using that lightly, but I don't know what else to call it. It's like a department store, not like Walmart, but it's like a lot of people that really can't afford coming in and out. God bless them. But he put a church right beside it with the door open. He's preaching with the door open as people are coming in and out of this department store. It inspired me. I'm going to be quiet now. Y'all are awesome. I'm going to close in prayer. Hopefully you've been encouraged. If I said anything that wasn't from God, I'm asking God to take it away. But I pray that you believe God wants to use you. And tonight, I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to be a soul winner, to be a seed planter. You don't have to be a great preacher like pastor. 
You don't have to spend a ball on a toothbrush. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be a genius. Who did God use? He used the fisherman, the common man. It's not your ability, it's your availability. Wow, one more story. 79-year-old man in Asheville, North Carolina. My pastor led him to the Lord. He asked the guy, he said, come to Tuesday night visitation. I want to teach you how to share your faith. Two weeks went by, pastor, and the guy didn't show up. So Pastor Klein sees him in the hallway, and he says, brother, I thought you were going to come to visitation. He said, pastor, I was sitting in the parking lot. My knees were smacking together. I was too scared to get out of the car. He said, just come, go with me. You pray, you watch me, you learn how to do it, and, and then you'll start doing it. 79-year-old man, before he died, he had led over 100 people to Christ in Asheville, North Carolina. God wants to use you. If you're still alive, God wants to use you. And God, I love this church. I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are awesome. There's soul winners in this crowd, I know. And I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. I fall short. Here's a good question to ask if you want to have a question to ask. You can ask somebody asked me this 30 years ago and it changed my life. The guy said, Randy, if you died today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? If we went to Walmart and we asked 100 people that question right now, you know what? 75% of them wouldn't have a Bible answer. If you're a soul winner, you know what I'm talking about. Number one answer is going to be this. I'm a good person. What does the Bible say about being good? It says there is none good, not even one. The best five minutes we could live wouldn't get us to heaven. The second most popular answer you're going to get in the South and maybe here, I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Catholic, I'm Charismatic, I'm Church of God, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Lutheran, my daddy's a preacher, my mama sings in the choir, I went to Crossfire Camp, I went to FCA Camp. Those answers, apart from repentance and faith in Christ, you know what God would have to say to me? I'm sorry, Randy, depart from me, for I never knew you. People don't know how to get to heaven. If you don't believe me, start asking them that question. And then you just say, hey, the gospel, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Our sin separates us from God. Jesus died on the cross. He went to the grave. He rose on the third day. Have you ever heard that message before? You wouldn't believe the people that tell me they've never heard it before. I got that in Newport Beach. I get that in the Bible Belt in Asheville, North Carolina. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.